Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news, trends, and hottest topics that focus on advances in cybersecurity and cyber industry economics. Our expert yet down-to-earth hosts make cybersecurity straightforward. They ask the tough questions and make this challenging topic something that everyone can understand. Our candid approach lets guests open up on topics we would all like to see addressed. You can find us on the web at newcyberfrontier.com. That's www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join today's host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. On today, Tanya Janko, the CEO and founder of WeHack Purple. Interesting name. She'll tell you about how she came to it. But uh, Tanya and I have been talking about AppSec security and our passions. Both of us kind of align a little bit. So you'll probably like this episode with some great heated, but I'm sure one-sided agreeing debates. Um, But Tanya, welcome. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much for having me. Definitely. It's, it's a pleasure. So, Tanya, give us, you know, in your own words, your background. How'd you get to where you're at? Uh, AppSec security, application security, we'll define that, that word we're using, that acronym, abbreviation, actually, um, isn't a common vocation. So, tell us your path that got you there. So I was a software developer for a really long time, and it was my favorite job. I tried other areas of IT, and I was always right back software development. This is what I like. But then I met an ethical hacker, and um, I used to be a professional musician, so I would play in in bands uh, all around town. And we had this ethical hacker, a penetration tester, that started working in our office part-time, and he was in a band. Obviously, our bands had to play together because that's what you do when you meet other musicians. And we became friends. And then he told me, you know, you would make a great pen tester. I honestly was not convinced. I was like, nothing's better than software development. I'm sorry. It's nice that you like your job, but I don't want that. And after a year and a half of him trying to convince me and showing me cool things, I was like, okay, so I'm pretty interested. Um, And then as a pen tester... I figured out that there was this other job called application security where you do the entire umbrella of trying to ensure software is secure. Because as a pen tester, it is so frustrating to come in right at the end. Like I remember telling clients, why didn't you call me earlier? I could have found this design flaw for you months ago and then you wouldn't have so much work now. And so I started kind of coming in earlier on my engagements and talking to them and whiteboarding their design and and threat modeling things, which I didn't even understand. I was threat modeling at first. Um, And then it turned out that's a job that you can have. (laughs) You can full-time help an org make sure that they're making secure software. And so I just started studying everything about it. And then I found out a few years ago that if you speak at a conference, they let you in for free. I wanted to go to every conference, especially the AppSec-related conference, like the ones from OWASP, DevSecCon. I was all, you know, and you have to, you only have so much training budget, and there's only so much money that you have that you can put towards your education each year. So I figured out this trick. Um, And so I I applied to every single conference I could think of all over the planet. (laughs) 
And then they started saying yes, which I was really surprised about, but really happy. And then I'd go and just learn and take notes and learn and learn and learn. And yeah, um, I also started figuring out how I could get into different people's training. So lots of people would let me in for free. Um, Cause I, you know, I'm like, oh, well, if I'll troubleshoot this or I'll do that or I'll trade you for this. And before you know it, I was like, maybe I could give some training. <laughs> and then now I'm a training company. It turns out that that is good. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So you train on application security. Yes. Yes. So I started a company and we basically have a content service mm-hmm. where I write lots of white papers and make videos, et cetera, all about AppSec. And then we've been releasing courses. So we just released three new courses called Application Security Foundations. And we start at the very beginning about what is that? How do you do it? And then throughout the three courses, we build an entire program with the people. So we talk about how to measure, how to improve instant response, all of the different parts, so that at the end you have this 10-page action plan that you can take to work to go and try to accomplish all these things. It's pretty fun. Um, And of course, every student at We Hack Purple gets Tanya's book. Yay! (laughs) Let's let's take a break, though, and hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back, because we want to tear into that book. Be right back. Mm -hmm. Cyber Resilience Institute helps build strong cyber communities designed to prevent members from attack. Like building a neighborhood watch, it takes coordination and a sharing community to protect our identities and valuables in the virtual world. Typically, we hear that organizations know they need to do something to protect their cyber assets, but don't know where to begin. Let Cyber Resilience Institute help your community create an action plan. Cyber Resilience Institute will build your community or business marketplace so that it is designed to support a collective cyber defense. Contact them for more information at cyberresilienceinstitute.org. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today, talking application security with Tanya Janko. And before the break, she announced that there's a book coming out and everybody gets her book that takes the class. Let's talk about the book. Tell us the title and what it's about, how you got to the point where you decided to write this. So my new book is called Alice and Bob Learn Application Security, and it ships on October 27th. So it's actually, you know, they're just doing the finishing touches on it, and then they're going to start printing and shipping it all over the world. I'm so excited. So anybody Um, out there listening that knows the relevance of Alice and Bob in security probably caught that right away, but tell us what that is. Okay, so Alice and Bob are the characters that were used to explain what asynchronous or asymmetric encryption was. Wrong word, yes. Mm -hmm. And so when I was, I think, 20 years old, I started a co-op placement, I was in college, and they're trying to explain to me, we're making an SSL accelerator and they're explaining, you know, how the private key, public key situation works. And they had these slides and Alice and Bob were on them. And so ever since, whenever I give examples, it's always Alice and Bob and they come to my blog and I use them for examples for talks and everything. And so then when it came time, I'm going to write a book about application security from A to Z. I'm always using them as examples. So, of course, I plan to use them for my examples in the book. And 
we're toying with the idea of naming it the Application Security Handbook, but that's boring. Every book's called the Handbook. Some book's called Alice and Bob Learn. And so this is potentially the first of multiple books mm -hmm. um, within cybersecurity. But basically, I just, I was really frustrated that there was no book about how to do AppSec. Mm -hmm. And there was no course about how to be an AppSec professional. And I was really want, kind of like to be awesome at whatever I'm doing. I always want to learn more and more and more until I feel like, okay, I definitely know how to do this really, really well. And so, you know, I read the Web App Hackers Handbook and that was awesome. But I was like, okay, so now I know more about pen testing. And so I would go through all these books and almost all of them are about offense instead of defense. And I'm like, well, AppSec's kind of both. I don't want to be a totally lopsided AppSec professional where all I know is red team. I want to know blue team too. Mm -hmm. I want to know, you know, I love threat modeling. I love coming up with different attacks. It's super exciting and fun. But I also want to be really awesome at planning out the mitigations or like planning layers of defenses to make sure if you get past one that, haha, you're stuck, you can't do anything else, etc. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your, who is your target audience for this book? So this book is for basically anyone who works in IT who wants to learn how to build secure software, but especially software developers and especially anyone that wants to work in AppSec. So if you're going to work in AppSec, this is A to Z. Mm -hmm. It's every single thing that I could possibly think of that I ever needed in all the jobs I've had and then some. Um, so I actually called in the big guns. Uh, so two of my technical editors are from the OWASP cheat sheets project. And so they taught me a lot of what I know. So I was like, I need the best reviewers I could find. So mm -hmm. I brought in Eli Sad and Dominic Raito. And yeah, it's just been like pretty awesome because they would not let me slide on anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so is, is there a base knowledge set you might have to have or be better to have before starting this? So it kind of depends on how much you want to read of the book. So for instance, any person can read chapters 1, 2, 9, 10, 11. Mm -hmm. So like my mom and my grandma are going to read those chapters. And it's about, you know, like good password hygiene and how to keep your information private on the internet and how to have basically secure your devices, secure your data, et cetera, and the basic concepts of security. And then I also have an entire chapter all about learning and learning plans. And I try to like form a plan with you so that you can continue learning because the book is the start, not the end. Mm -hmm. um, but the other chapters get a lot more technical. So I would say someone that doesn't work in IT would have a really, really hard time understanding past chapter two. And software developers will probably get the most added, for instance, like chapter four, which is the secure coding guideline. But if you don't code, you could read all the other chapters and it'll make sense. Does that, mm -hmm. does that help? But I feel like basically anyone that's charged with creating software, maintaining software, supporting software, or securing software, those are the people that would want to read this book. Like we briefly touch on cloud security and peripheral types of tools, like mm -hmm. for instance, file integrity monitoring or application control tooling. But the, it's like light touches. If you work in AppSec, you totally need to understand the basics of cloud. I get it, but it's not a cloud security book, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Um, what about, is it more from a 
developer perspective or architect who would uh, benefit from it at a level of designer type of experience? So there is a chapter all about secure design. Mm -hmm. So an architect would definitely want to read that one. Well, there's another chapter all about secure coding. And so if you don't write code, you could probably skip that chapter if that's not a job that you're going to have, if that makes sense. And then I have another entire chapter that's just every single type of security testing. Like there's, so I can be quite permissive with what I determine to be part of the scope of security. So for instance, I consider performance and stress testing very related to security because I want availability, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we haven't stress or performance test our app, then we don't know if it's rugged and tough and it's going to be available all the time for our customers. So I'm kind of permissive with the different things or we talk about what regression testing is and then I talk about how to make security tests to do regression tests so that you can automate this with unit tests every time you check in your code. And so I have like a lot of ideas about it and it is not a book just to be clear about how to be a pen tester. Um, and right at the beginning of the chapter, I'm like, there are many awesome books about this. This is not one of them. <laughs> you will not become a pen tester by reading this chapter. Mm -hmm. So you get into um, a lot of like environment tools and, uh, and uh, black box testing type tools and things like that and using. So we don't list very many tools by name at all in the whole book on purpose because I have relationships with so many companies that it would be. It would be really bad if I named one and not another one. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So instead, I talked about, for instance, like the idea of using a modern browser and using all the different developer tools and how you use them for security testing. And then um, using a web proxy. So I don't name all the different web proxies that exist, but I talk about how you would use it for security testing. Okay. And then what DAST is and like what DAST tools are like and how many false positives they have versus true positives, et cetera. We talk about SAS, like there's just so many. We talk about manual mm -hmm. code review. So like static mm -hmm. and dynamic analysis type of, okay. Yeah, we talk about IAST too and RASP and the difference between RASP and WAF. I hope that your audience isn't like, that's too many acronyms. It is a lot of acronyms, but yeah. those are all just ways to test your software after you've written it. Yeah, except- In the process of writing it actually. Except WAF and RASP, those are more like a shield, if that makes sense. They're more like an added layer of protection. Yeah. So I won't ask you to, to say what all those acronyms mean, but we'll just lump them in this. The software developers might want to look at that. Um, yeah, well, the, the book explains what they are and what all those long acronyms actually stand for. And then which ones you might want to go and learn and actually do. Because mm -hmm. I am a firm believer that software developers can do some security testing before it even gets into the pipeline or down to the testers, I feel like giving tools to software developers is awesome as opposed to potentially dangerous. You just have to train them and give them a safe place to do their, do their testing so they don't make a mess. Safe, dark, quiet. Let's take a break. We'll hear right from our, we'll hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back in a minute.
Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. Uh, today, talking to Tanya Janko, who uh, talked about before the break her book, Alice and Bob Learn Application Security, that will be on the shelf near you very soon. Um, so we would definitely want to look for that. One thing that we, when we were talking about the, the different pieces there in your book and everything, do you touch on or, or the identification of like existing apps, zero day attacks, and how people do that analysis? No, I don't really talk about how to be a bounty hunter or how to specifically be a person that gets zero days. Um, I, I, I cover it a bit in my courses in the academy a little bit, but mm -hmm. basically I feel like zero days and does your audience know what that is or should we define it? Just Go ahead. In case? I think you should define it. Okay. So a zero day is a vulnerability that there's no known fix for. So it's known that there's a vulnerability, but no one knows how to fix it. So there's no or way that you can sometimes it. not even known. It's out there. It's in the wild. It's there. People are exploiting it, yeah. but it gets found and it becomes. Yeah. So someone has found one. Quite often when things get turned into a bounty, you know, if there's a vulnerability, first of all, it's a zero day because it still exists in the app and they don't have a patch ready because you just told them about it. But you might be the third person that actually found it. And that whole time, that vulnerability that exists, it's a zero day, even if no one knows. But I feel that the danger that zero days pose is overstated and over kind of publicized and too much attention is given to it compared to all the vulnerabilities that are known for which there is a fix. Mm -hmm. Because most breaches aren't caused by a zero day. Almost all of them are caused by things that could have been patched two years ago. Unfortunately, it's vulnerabilities that the pen tester told us about earlier this year and last year when he came by, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, well, that was in the backlog and we just didn't think it was that important. And those are the things that usually bite us. And mm -hmm. um, I, I do think that it is important that we have ways to protect ourselves against zero days that are being exploited in the wild. However, good security hygiene comes first. So ensuring that you've scanned all your apps, I mean, as a basic minimum, and then fix the things you find. And then more security testing, you know, policies or standards and guidelines, code review, like there's so many steps and that's just one of them. But I feel like executives get pumped up when they go to, you know, sales events or conferences and they're like, oh no, zero days. But in my whole career, a zero day happened once that was a big problem and it was an ancient, an ancient framework. And like we should have, we had so much technical debt if mm -hmm. we had been even remotely close to like, I think that the framework we were on had not been supported for over two years at that point. And it's like, technically it's a zero day because there's no known fix, but come on, like, our problem is we have giant technical debt. Mm -hmm. That thing's been out for like a decade. Come on. <laughs> um, and so we had to write our own fix for it and put it up and it worked and we were okay, but that was scary. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So then I convinced them we needed a WAF. Yeah. I'm like, we don't, we don't need to turn it on. We don't need any rules. Just install it so that I can make a virtual patch next time if this happens again. And then we made a plan to fix our technical debt. 
because that was the real problem, not the zero day. Mm -hmm. So when you look at, uh, you know, helping in your book and whatever, are you focusing more on, hey, here's what we're developing now? Or do you go back and say, well, here's how we look at maybe software that's been out for five years and analyzing it and starting to fix that? Which do you focus more on or are you kind of even on that? So there's one chapter that is just about new tech mm -hmm. because I didn't see that covered in any other books that I could find in English. And I only know English and French. So <laughs> there may be books out there, but I didn't find them. And so uh, I wanted to dedicate a chapter specifically to that. So for instance, APIs are different than web apps and there's extra things we need to do. Um, but most of the book, uh, it concentrates on just the security of software in general. It doesn't talk specifically about if you have something, well, there is a section on technical debt and the dangers that it poses. Um, but I don't specifically talk about testing a legacy application differently then you would test, for instance, a new app unless there's new tech in the app. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So if you're testing a microservices architecture, you do test that differently, but that's the architecture mm -hmm. that's a new tech as opposed to like you can make a brand new app that still has old style architecture and you can still do waterfall. Lots of people are doing it. Um, but I, I talk a lot about how to weave security through the system development lifecycle. And I talk about the differences with DevOps, but it is not a book about DevOps. It is part of a chapter about DevOps. Mm -hmm. um, so I point people to some really excellent books. I'm obsessed with DevOps. So I had several books to <laughs> recommend. Um, so I'm like, go read these, then come back and finish this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know there was some some legacy apps that we had loaded into a some of the more capable static analysis and up with like a million critical errors. And there was not even a really good way to approach going after trying to fix it. Um, thoughts on that? So with legacy applications, so first of all, if it's the first time an app is getting any security attention whatsoever... I would probably run DAST over SAS. So I would do a dynamic interaction while the application's running rather than doing static code analysis, which has way higher false positive rate. Um, and, and also it's just way faster. And so I would try to find, you know, anything that's blaring and bleeding and really awful and work on those things. Yeah, because that <laughs> will solve a lot of your SAS problems. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would probably do a security assessment and look at, you know, so where should there be a security control? Oh, is one there? Is it the right one? And if I kind of punch it a little bit, is it still okay? Okay, good. Next one. Mm -hmm. And then, then I would probably consider SAS after that. But there's also like, I'm kind of really interested in IAST lately. So, so SAS is a static. So uh, define all three of those now that you've used yeah. three. Yeah. So DAST is a tool that interacts with your application as it's Means. running live on a server or a so container, wherever you put it. Define the, the acronym. Oh, so your application is running? No, I mean and the then, dynamic software or now the, the DAST. Okay. So then a DAST, what it does is it interacts with your application and attempts to find security vulnerabilities for you. And so it will 
usually it proxies between your web browser and wherever you have the web app hosted. And then it looks at the resp uh, the responses and requests between the front end and the back end. Mm -hmm. And it tries to figure out potential problems. So the, the, the D means dynamic and the S yes. means static. So that, that's yes. what I was looking for is the oh, dynamic yeah. software analysis versus static. Oh. And one looks oh. at the code while it's just in code form. And yeah. that's the static. The dynamic looks at it while mm -hmm. it's running and tries to determine how it's operating and how the moving pieces are. And yes. the, the third one. Um, yes. So I asked is interactive application security testing. And the way that it works is it sort of does some DAST and some SAS. So it analyzes from the code perspective and then, well, actually more like the binary mm -hmm. of, of the application. And then it also analyzes it as it's running. And so as you are using your application, so ideally during user acceptance testing or during a penetration task, or while people are actually using the application, it sees which parts are running and it looks for security vulnerabilities as it's actually being used. And so what this means is, is you'll never get complete code coverage because there's lots of parts of your code that are never actually ever called. And so when you do SAST and it analyzes all of your written code for your entire application, lots of that never actually executes in production. And so you're spending a lot of time looking at things that are unused. And so IAST is also kind of cool because it only runs while it's being used. And so um, there are some people that use it in production. I'm not so brave. I usually use it you know, during UAT, like user acceptance testing or other types of testing. Or if you have like a Selenium script and it just runs through and does all the, definitely run it during that. I find that the accuracy of the results are much higher than with a static application security testing tool. And um, so you get a lot more true positive. So a result that is real and you get a lot less false positives. So things that are reported that are wrong, but you also get a lot less false negatives. So it catches more things. Um, so SAST can catch a zillion things. It'll tell you 10,000 pages of results, but people don't have time to look at that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is where they think there's a potential for something that could be a problem. Well, I asked, I find what what I'm seeing from clients and from what I'm seeing, it's just, it seems to have a lot more accuracy. Yeah. So we got very deep technical there in the last three or four minutes. Sorry, um, you asked. No, that's okay. I'm just <laughs> doing this for our listeners. Um, a lot of people, a lot of applications, a lot of companies that think, well, we'll just pen test it. You know, let's skip all this technical stuff. We'll just pen test. We'll just get somebody to pen test it. What do you, what do you say to, to that popular crowd? <laughs> so he already knows what I'm going to say. You cannot pen test an application into being secure. And so when you have a penetration tester come in right at the end of the system development lifecycle, that's your last chance before your customers are finding it. And so that means the developers have a very short window to try to fix those things. So they're not going to fix most of them because they can't. And it means it's the most expensive because you've already done all this other testing and time that has been spent. And so you're paying software developers to stay late, try really hard to put band-aids on giant gaping wounds that just got found because this is the first time someone looked at security. 
I used to joke that people thought I was a good pen tester because I was the first person to look at security as opposed to me being a really good pen tester. I'm like, it's like shooting ducks in a barrel if no one's been there before me. They've had zero guidance. Most of them have had zero security training. And then I'm just like, pew, pew, I look awesome. But really, <laughs> it's just like, oh, these are all so obvious. I have to report them to you. And then that also means you don't have time to do more in-depth testing and that sort of things as well. Because yeah, your budget's already all been stuff. spent getting the mm -hmm. features in. And now, you know, sometimes more than 60, even more than 100% of that time needs to be reversed and redone. Yeah, exactly. And there's this joke with software developers. Um, so if you if you fix 10 bugs and you check in your code, how many, okay, you have 10 bugs, you fix 10 bugs, you check in your code, how many bugs do you have? Well, I don't 11, know. 11, right? <laughs> yeah. because you always make more bugs when you change code like that's life you just mm -hmm. you're not gonna have more usually unless you're like maybe you know you need more caffeine before you come to work but <laughs> definitely so we're kind of running close to time tell us how we can get a hold of you for your services what types of customers you service how people can contact you and how to find your book so please go to wehackpurple.com and we have a whole bunch of courses there for you. We have our own podcast now, and we have a premium content service, which is going to be turned into very shortly an online community. Also, you can find, you know, we hack purple on Twitter everywhere. My handle is she hacks purple. So I have the YouTube, the shehackspurple.ca because I'm Canadian. Mm -hmm. So all, if you just look up we hack purple, you'll find my company that is much more professional <laughs> all the time. And then if you look up She Hacks Purple, I'm silly and I still talk about security all the time. I do see, is there a purple tint to your hair? Yes, yes, <laughs> there is some violet at the tips of my hair. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for joining today, Tanya. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right, you have a good one. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to New Cyber Frontier. Remember to follow or like our post and circulate each new show to your networks. We keep you informed, bring you the latest news, explore new trends, and find the hottest topics. With New Cyber Frontier, you don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert, just get plugged in. We encourage you to get involved. Tell us what topics interest you and join our mailing lists. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. That's newcyberfrontier.com. Check out our previous interviews and please let us know if there are any topics that you would like to hear discussed. See you next time on New Cyber Frontier.